I'm here with Carrie Jarvis, and I've been really, really, really looking forward to this conversation. Carrie is an intersectional feminist. She is also a developmental coach and a community activist. And you currently work with small business owners, right? Helping them untangle their businesses from these collective systems that we're all part of. Capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, just to name, you know, a few of small ones that we have Monday mornings before breakfast. And really, we are looking to dive into this topic of how come that the current coaching industry makes it so hard for people to stay rooted in their own inner authority, which is a big conversation, but I really look forward to diving in. Welcome to Soul Whispers, the official soul-based coaching podcast where we are inspiring conversations about new paradigm coaching. I'm your host, Annemiek van Helsdingen, founder of the Academy for Soul-Based Coaching, where we've impacted the lives of thousands of coaches and clients. I love sharing insights and experiences that can make us all even better coaches, healers, therapists, and leaders in this time of rapid transition. You can expect new perspectives and rigorous new paradigm coaching practices, all rooted in yin-fueled wisdom. Enjoy. And welcome, Carrie. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're super welcome. I think the place that we need to start is just to hear who's Carrie. What got you into all this? <laughs> um aren't these questions confronting when you're like how much how much can I what is enough and what is too much let me do my best to articulate this journey so um I'm from a working class family I you know that is my background my family kind of moved into a more middle class space I suppose as I grew up and I was like the first in my family ever to go to university and things started to get a bit you know easier for us and a bit better for us um I've I would say I've always been fascinated by um the kinds of discrepancies between what people say and how they behave so um having experienced sort of uh, a degree of like financial struggle in my family you know I'm not I'm not trying to overplay that but things definitely weren't always easy for my family um and being part of um a Catholic community for a while as well um and witnessing these differences between you know how we talk about sharing and we talk about our neighbors and we talk about um fairness and um yeah and how that has had not always sort of shown up even in those spaces I, I really have this vivid memory of um being in church as a child and a homeless person coming in um you know not in a great condition and the way that people reacted to that like aghast that this person was in the space um and I, and I just remember that so clearly as this first moment of like, hmm, maybe people don't always mean what they say when we talk about these values that we have. Um, so there's that. Um, that that's like an aspect of my journey, if you like, that the kind of like complex disentanglement from faith that followed that. Um, and then when I went to university, you know, a lot of people become more left wing, don't they, when they go to university? But it was kind of the opposite for me because I came from this like, mining town in the north of England 
And then when I went to university, um, I studied uh, management and math. So it was all like finance and accounting and whatnot. And I was suddenly exposed to a lot of, uh, you know, like properly, if you like, middle class people, people who were much better off. Um, and who had this kind of more right-leaning view of the world because of the subjects they were studying and what they were interested in. Um, so I, I kind of found myself leaning a bit. And then I um, when I essentially like became a mother in 2013, I would say that was the start of my feminist awakening, feminist socialist awakening, if you like, um, because I suddenly realised that this uh, thing that I had imagined that we didn't really need feminism anymore because I earned more money than my husband was like not really on solid ground. <laughs> this is like becoming a mother kind of, um, you know, pulls away that wall that is over your eyes and you start to see things much more how they actually are um, rather than what you've been led to believe is, is true about the opportunities that are available to you and like the equity that, you know, we now have and how we've never had it better and all of that stuff. Um, and what, were I, the, what were some of the things that you were noticing? Oh, gosh, just how like my entire life had been turned on its head and my husband's life was you know, 80% of the hours of his life were like the same as <laughs> it has ever been. Um, I started to realise stuff around. So, so for example, like I'd in my sort of early career, I'd worked in store management for a major high street retailer. So I was managing teams of managers and then hundreds of people. And I suddenly started to reflect on, <clears throat> excuse me, my... Um, like how I had received people who were having children, like who were pregnant in the workplace, going on maternity leave, returning to work, seeking some flexibility, um, and how I had viewed them through this lens that did not belong to me, which was like, well, if they want a career, like they can't, they can't expect to have it all, and like, um, of course they can't expect to, um, you know, be on this track or have this, um pay rise you know promised or compared to someone who's been here all the time and I, I was very sucked into like like I said at the start I've always been interested in in sort of fairness but it was like this twisted version of fairness like well if that man has been here all year and she has not you know with no kind of understanding of that wider context of like well, why is that man able to be here all year and why is she not able to be here all year and what what unpaid labor has she been doing all year? And how might that baby be the reason that I get a pension one day or whatever? Like, you know, just completely lacking any awareness of sort of how we all fit together and how we, we can't thrive individually and that we, you know, this kind of interconnected nature of our lives. So yeah, it threw threw a lot of things into chaos for me, really, um, becoming a mother. And then I rather than go back to my job which I couldn't then really imagine how I would go back to needing to like manage people. Like my, I, I wonder if that, I wonder if that articulation is sort of strong enough that, to express the feeling that I have when I think about like managing people, you know, it just, there's something there in the language that I think we've become sort of um, numb to, but it's not, it's just not like an activity that I felt I could really engage in any longer. I didn't feel I could be asking people to make the same compromises 
in terms of like the context of their lives for work that I was comfortable asking them to do before and lots of other reasons you know like unaffordable childcare and all those other things as well and so I started my own business I retrained to be a hypnobirthing teacher and in that birth workspace encountered a lot of brilliant feminists and learned a lot from lots of people um, in that space, but also encountered then a lot of, um, you know, girl boss, entrepreneurial, also kind of lots of it in the more sort of spiritual girl boss space where the, the girl bossing was very caught up with a spiritual practice um, or sort of belief system. So then I kind of got sucked into a whole other, oh, I don't know, even what we would call it. I got sucked into another version of, um, I guess, like championing women's um, oppression in some sense. Uh, You know, again, unknowingly sort of imagining that, oh, this is where the freedom is. Just like before, I thought that working for this corporation earning more money than my husband like that's the freedom and and then it was like oh no like working for myself and like striving for seven figures and maybe I'll move to Bali like that's the freedom (laughs) and like a laptop lifestyle yes the laptop lifestyle so yeah all of that all of that like not great um and then really over sort of the part I guess like um when Brexit was happened, when was Brexit? What was that now? Like seven years ago or something like yeah, that? It's 2015, so, something along those some, lines. Something along those lines. When when that all kind of um, became, you know, very much part of like the public discourse, um, that opened my eyes to a lot of factors um, that I'd not really considered or, or understood before. Um, and then, you know, here in this country, like the way our society is just being eroded by this Tory government over the years it I think it's more a question of like how could we not um become not just interested in but almost like obsessed by these systems that are played uh, that are playing us like that we are forced to play within um and are you know robbing us of our lives our peace our joy um And so it's actually three years this week since my friends and I, who we run the Community Care Bank together, since we first got together to talk about immediately after that most recent general election, um, what are we going to do in our community to offset some of this um, inequality that is only going to get worse and worse? So, yeah, that was quite a lot. I thought it was going to be quite brief. Sorry about that. That's right. I think no, it is a lot, but also I think there's a um, there's a general theme that keeps running through everything that you're sharing, which is you're waking up to like, oh, there's a wider context to, to this thing that I'm in. There's a wider context still to this things that that I'm in, and and that keeps on happening. And I think that is such an incredibly super vital conversation to have because we all grow up in kind of like oh this is the space that I've got and I've got to make it work and this is like this is a personal thing right it's like my survival is on the line whatever you know whether that's actually true or whether we just psychologically feel that that's true um but then so many people just kind of stay within these 
these confines um, and um, you kind of try to work with what you've got. Um, but that in itself, I think, is one of the effects of the systems that we're part of, right? It's like it's so much part of the, of the patriarchal capitalist way of doing things. It's like, okay, so we all have to kind of get to the top or like make it work for ourselves. Um, and then we can start to look around us and kind of go, oh, how's everyone else? Okay, how, how who, who else can I then help? Um, whereas... I think what you're describing really beautifully is how for you it's been like a widening of like awareness and then a, um, another um, a really deliberate choice of how do I want to be part of this now that I'm more aware of things how do I want to um, show up in that so one of the things which I think is is something that you're very inspiring in um, to, to all of us yeah that's so kind of you to say. I love how you you've kind of uh, packaged that up for me as well. That's helping me to see my own experience in a more favorable light, perhaps. Because it's I think something that a lot of people really struggle with, and, and I certainly still struggle with it, is this feeling of um, oh my gosh, I change my mind all the time. You know, I'm constantly changing my mind. I used to say this, and now I'm saying like, oh, I don't. That doesn't really resonate with me anymore. And I think that we can feel a lot of shame around that um, also, where, whereas, you know, the sort of healthy parts of us might consider that, of course, changing our minds is a positive thing. And it, um, you know, shows that we are able to process new information and um, and that ultimately, like if we never changed our minds about anything, like what are we even doing here? Like. Yeah. how are we moving through the world if, if we're never sort of gaining any new perspectives and yet I do still find often for clients and for myself that there can be um an air of kind of embarrassment around you know seeing things differently than you did before especially when you've been vocal about how you see things yeah yeah and you know what I think it's one of the um most um the qualities that we're lacking most in our world is to actually own up to the fact that yeah we do change insights opinions and I think it's related to that inner authority piece as well is that that inner authority is like we need to we need to kind of learn to listen to that that truth within ourselves and that's not a set in stone kind of golden light kind of like oh I've got all the answers now kind of inner authority it is the best best knowing so far that we have in the system right and and it's part of i think you know we look outside in nature nothing stays the same right everything keeps on evolving and goes through cycles of kind of especially here in the western kind of hemisphere it's kind of like oh everything builds up and then winter comes and it's like oh no back to the, back to the core and kind of looking at what is what is it that's regrowing um and you know, I think one of the things that we're really, 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 really getting a lot of practice in is to understand that there is, um, again, I think in the way that the systems are set up, there is a value to right and wrong, having black and white and no difficult conversations, no gray, gray scale in between, no, well, maybe it depends. Um, but I think that's where life is. <laughs> I think life is in that navigating that in between um, and making sense of that 
but we can only do that together. So I think you can give yourself massive amounts of grace um, and just kind of go with, yeah, that's how we all evolve. <laughs> and does that mean that right now I've got like all the truth? Of course I do. <laughs> but also <laughs> new insights might come that might, you know, bring it even to an evil, even wider perspective. Yeah. So we do need to touch on this just for a moment, because I think there's a lot of people who might not be familiar with the term intersectional feminist. And I just want them all to kind of kind of go, oh, OK, that's what we're talking about. Could you please share what that means to you? Yeah. Um, so I guess in simple terms, I think it's maybe easiest to start with what it's not, which is it's not women particularly sort of white, middle-class, slim, conventionally attractive, straight women rising to the top of structures um, in the same way that men with similar characteristics have always done, um, which, you know, for me is kind of the, you know, the girl boss feminism, the white feminism, perhaps, um, you know, that's those being sort of slightly different things, but having lots in common um, that we've touched on already. So I wanted to properly name and credit Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined the phrase in 1989 as a prism for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate each other. Um, so that sort of awareness really of overlapping forms of oppression and discrimination um, and moving away from this idea that, you know, if one woman can be successful, a bit like I was saying before, if I can earn more money than my husband, then we must not need feminism anymore, um, you know, which completely um, ignores the relative privileges that I'd had to get to that point. So like, yeah, I did grow up in a working class family where when I was young my mum and dad struggled a lot but eventually they were able to um afford to support me to some extent to go to university and um you know I had a really good education um some of that just by luck of like where we lived and you know how good the, the school was that was um near to us um you know and, and all sorts of other things about me and um my identity that that helped me along the way there so really intersectional feminism I think is about us being on the lookout for um you know classism racism homophobia transphobia fatphobia all of these things that essentially strive under capitalism um and asking ourselves like oh well what else is going on here if if that worked out great for that one woman like what might be true about her that isn't true about everyone else um and, and perhaps, you know, important to acknowledge here as well that even just the term itself is worthy of a huge discussion. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I hope that that's sort of enough of a, of a flavour for anyone who's not familiar with the term. Yeah, thank you. I think it's... Um... <laughs> It's the kind of term that we can talk about like for many, 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 many hours. Um, and there's far better people to talk about it for many hours than I, than I am personally. Um, but I think one of the core things is that it's not just about women. It's about all of us. It's about a systemic view of looking at what is keeping inequality in place in our world. And um, and it is worth looking into further if this is a new term for people that are listening or watching this. Um Thank you. And one of the questions that I've been 
learning to ask myself in kind of this exploration, because for me, this is an exploration that's kind of ongoing, is this question of who's benefiting and who's not benefiting from the way this is right now. And if there is one example of a person who is benefiting, where are the others? <laughs> What's making this possible and who's benefiting even more? Um, to just kind of keep, keep seeing um, examples of like little things that make very, very big differences to people. So that was just to set the scene, everyone. Um, <laughs> but it also um, hopefully uh, lifts a little bit of the feel of why this is such an incredibly exciting topic to talk about. So now let's bring the lens onto the coaching industry. Because, um, well, in soul-based coaching, we do coaching in a very specific way. If you've been listening to our work for a while, um, you may know about this. If this is new to you, then I very much invite you to come in uh, and find out more about our work. Uh, but one of the core principles that we work in is that we invite our clients into their into that relationship with their inner authority. And um, that asks a lot of people. That's, an, that's a pretty new experience to a lot of people. Um, and so I see a lot of examples in the more conventional coaching industry of where that is actually not happening and not the case. Um, and I'd love to just open the floor and just also ask you, Kerry, where, what, what do you see in terms of where is it not easy for people to root themselves in that place based on some of the practices and belief systems that are running this industry? Mm. Oh, I have so many thoughts <laughs> about this. Um, and we've kind of started to touch on one earlier, which was, um, you know, we were talking about how tricky it can be to change our minds and to be seen to be changing our minds. And what I think that is connected to is that certainty is a real sort of pillar of um, systems of oppression that, you know, you were sort of referencing sort of, um, you know, binary points of view and um, this idea that there is, um, there is one correct way to go about things, there is one supreme um, approach um, that, that you will be right or wrong, that you will succeed or fail. Um, and I think that this uh, sort of glorification of certainty shows up in our industry, in our marketing, especially, um, you know, certainly over the years, I have been exposed to like many, many pieces of advice um, telling me how important it is to sort of um how best to describe it you know just to I mean we the language we often use is sort of about cultivating authority and and even authority like you know for me that that word gives me feelings of <laughs> authority over whom and and what um and I think that we have sort of, as an industry or corners sections of the industry have sort of spiraled into this space of like, who can be the most sure, who can be the most, um, you know, loud and steadfast in their perspectives, um, who can be the sort of boldest and most provocative um in order to get attention and and certainly that is something that I play with if, if we want to be able to um run our businesses in ways that allow us to 
you know feed our families and pay our mortgages or our rent and and all all everything else that we need to pay for to continue to exist um there is an extent to which we need to play the game like there's no two ways about it like i think there's tons and tons and tons of stuff that we can reassess in our businesses and in our marketing but we need people's attention if we want them to engage with our work. Um, and so I'm not here saying, oh, other people are so, <laughs> you know, they're oversimplifying things and they're trying to get your attention and I'm not because I am. Like, what am I doing here now? Do you know, I'm like, listen to me. Like, <laughs> I think that's an important acknowledgement. Um but yeah, I think that this sense that everyone is so sure, like if you're a coach in the industry looking out at other coaches and they are presenting this certainty in their points of view, in their opinions, in their ways that they're telling people to approach things, um, and you know that you don't feel, you don't experience that same kind of certainty about your work and your approaches and your ideas, perhaps because you find yourself changing your mind often. And um, I, I, I think that can be really difficult. You can start to think like, well, they must know better than me. They seem to be sure. So they must know better than me. I'm not sure. So why should anyone listen to me? And and maybe I can't put stuff out there that is, um, you know, not um, not demonstrating that same degree of certainty or authority. Mm, that's such a juicy one. And I think this is one of the things that our coaches actually struggle with because of exactly that fact. Because um, it is there's something really appealing, right? to the people that claim to have the answer. Mm -hmm. There is uh, to people that are kind of being very vocal and very shiny about the fact that like they've got it, mm. got it. Um, whereas when we're looking to the heart of it, <laughs> that I don't think there's anything to get <laughs> necessarily. There's not one thing. There's never, ever one thing to get. And this is when we start to look at life being like very multifaceted and every person having their own path here and having like their own next step in their evolution. Um, it's not about, well, here is the shiny thing that's going to make all your troubles go away. Um, but it's it's hard to stand that ground. Mm. And especially when it's in marketing and sales, which is a whole that's exactly what you say that's kind of where the rubber hits the road right it's like that's where it's got to come together at some point um people don't notice you it's going to be hard uh, to make mm -hmm. a living doing the work that you know yet you can do for people mm -hmm. so yeah i love it okay first one this idea of certainty and the way that it permeates like all these different ways of the industry mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you kind of started to move towards it there, I thought. Um, the other thing, one of the other things very large on my mind here is um, the presentation of kind of versions of success. So Ooh. if mm -hmm. you, you know, connected to certainty, that there, there is this certainty in the industry that everyone wants a seven-figure business or that everyone wants a four-hour work week or... I don't know, everyone wants, um, 
like passive income or, or whatever it might be, um, that success is about accumulation of wealth beyond, you know, what we could ever really need. Um, that it is about doing as little as possible whilst getting the most out of other people that you possibly can. I think that is a really, um, mm, a really, a, it bothers me. It it, it bothers me hugely. Um, and, it, and it feels very connected to this idea that I think also is prevalent across our industry that, um, quote unquote, high caliber clients or words to that effect um, need us less. So they will pay us more and expect less from us. And that that is what we should, that's why we should all be looking at these kind of like high ticket offerings. Um, and and that's, that's a capitalist norm, like extract as much value as you can from others whilst giving as little as possible in return. And and ultimately that in our industry, I think, is presented as sort of the real success. If you can give the least possible and get the most out, then you're kind of winning. And it doesn't represent uh, well, it doesn't represent my desires. And certainly it doesn't represent the desires of people that I interact with, either my clients, my community, my peers, pals in the industry. Um because most of us, I think um in the coaching space love coaching (laughs) we actually love the art of coaching a human in front of us and the privilege of witnessing something shifting in them either you know often very slowly over time sometimes these very sexy epiphanies but not with the frequency that we're sort of led to believe is representative of of our success as a coach the the more we move towards these ideas that success is about doing as little as possible for as much as possible we can't actually be coaching like it's not coaching anymore it's just like you know maybe it's teaching a program maybe it's just being the face of a course um it's not coaching and I think you know once we get to that point we've got a bit of a cheat calling ourselves coaches hot take (laughs) yeah it's a really one of the things I love about you bringing this up is that um that it's really that it can be really tricky to untangle yourself from these ideas and so it's like, so when, and, you know, the question of like, what does success mean to you as a coach is one of those questions that gets thrown around a lot. Um, and it's really tricky to kind of disentangle yourself from these ideas that, yes, you should be hustling, you should be working uh, smarter, not harder, uh, you should be um, uh, putting in less time um, like when are you upgrade? you know when are you upping your prices next kind of like uh, have you had three people that have prayed your current rate now is the time to raise your like that kind of that one but yeah <laughs> it's like um, to me that kind of gets us into this pyramid game of like oh I can play you harder and then you play me again and it's kind of like what are we doing <laughs> like can we not do that please um and at the same time there is this okay so what is fair pricing like what what is the value of our work 
what does that mean in monetary terms? Um, it would be different if we didn't all have to um, earn money for our rent or our mortgage or our food. Like what, what would it look like then? That'd be interesting, interesting thought experiments there. Yeah. But it's, it's, so, it's, so it's not, this is not the, oh, well, here's the, Carrie has the answer, lady and ladies and gentlemen. Precisely no answers. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I would like to name people that I feel like I've learned from around this stuff, um, whose work I, I've sort of um or my learnings from them I've tried to integrate into my own practices. Um, and those people are Bear A Bear who I um, first heard on my friend Sass Petrick's Courage and Spice podcast. So there's an episode on there that I would recommend there. And they are an anti-capitalist business coach and consultant, basically. Um, so their work is really um, like incredibly refreshing. Um, and then more recently, um, Kelly Deals and Danielle Cohen have a piece that they do together um, called Good Money. Um, and I found that very, um, what do I want to say about that? I, I finished up last year in a space of a real sort of, um, struggle around money, you know, what we might call money mindset, but I don't because, ugh. but I, you know, I, as someone who is in an anti-poverty activism space if, with one foot, and then I have another foot in this, you know, seven-figure coaching space or whatever. Like it, it's just incredibly difficult to find that middle ground emotionally and energetically for what it means for me to be in a space of sufficiency for me and my family and meeting our needs and having the good life that everyone deserves to have. Um and I saw that they were running that at the end of last year. And I thought, this looks like, for want of a better phrase, I suppose, the kick up the backside that I need to take more responsibility around um, my feelings and, and my processing around money and fairness and whatnot. Um, and I felt like what I gained from that was a real addressing of some of my concerns that I sometimes feel is lacking in other spaces when we talk about money mindset and whatnot so yeah we'd just love to name those people as people that I've learned from um, and who I would direct people to for further sort of learnings on that great I will make sure to put them in the show notes that people can easily find the people back thank you and and also I would love for us to just dive a little bit into the content of the coaching process because there's another whole bag of um stuff there um that I think is really worth um looking into and one of the things that um I think you shared about recently was about well maybe you're not exactly where you're meant to be just as a, a little spotlight on one of those beliefs that hover around that seem like helpful and harmless um on a top level but actually are they um you want to share a little bit about your processing there yeah um so back in my kind of like hanging out in the spiritual girl boss zone um I was very into things are always working out for me which is you know very connected to like you're exactly where you need to be um this idea that there is never a failure only ever this sort of 
lesson that we should gratefully receive um, that our suffering will one day all make complete sense, that perhaps something we have done has um, meant that we we sort of deserve to be suffering in this way. Um, all, all of that stuff, all of that stuff. Um, and let me say, first of all, like, I really do understand why some people sometimes find benefit in being connected to ideas like you are exactly where you need to be and things are always working out for you because at that time in my life you know I've got two very young children I was dealing with something like postnatal depression another topic around um pathologization of women's mental health issues that we haven't got time to talk about but you know I was really struggling um and at times those um, ideas helped me to stay motivated to keep going, you know, to keep parenting, to keep building a business um, to find some purpose in this life that had been sort of turned upside down um, to imagine, to be willing to kind of hope and imagine that things would get better, that they wouldn't always seem so difficult. So I do not want to say, um, I do not mean to say, that there is no space for a personal connection to a concept like this. And I'm also not saying that anyone who enjoys that is sort of bad or wrong or, you know, should be ashamed of that or anything like that at all, because that, that was definitely me. I always had this feeling, these thoughts, hmm, this is all right for me, but what does this mean for people in X, Y, Z, horrendous situation you know war-torn country abusive relationship abject poverty you know what what does that mean for them and I just kept pushing it away <laughs> like oh just don't worry about that this is helping you just don't just don't think about that too much um until I couldn't anymore you know un until eventually um yeah that, that just became a tipping point um, and, and, you know, what's interesting is that for me, that tipping point was very connected to um, like a, a traumatic family event, um, you know, that will not be particularly unique or dissimilar to what lots of people went through during the early stages of the pandemic. Um, and it was like a, you know, a sort of like a thing, like a lightning bolt, like you just cannot ignore this any longer. You cannot things are always working out for you, your way out of this. You cannot, you are exactly where you need to be, your way out of this. Like, you need to experience your feelings about this. And I think that this is what happens when we when we become overly identified with these concepts that things are working out for us or we are exactly where we need to be. We can um, become very judgmental of ourselves and the feelings that we have that we find difficult, like sadness, disappointment, anger, grief, um, we can become very disconnected from our realities and the people around us who could offer us support because we're unwilling to entertain the idea that things are difficult because we're so like connected to or attached to this sense that like oh no it's all part of some divine plan it's actually fine and I'd better not complain about it otherwise you know my vibrational state might mean that I dwell in this awful experience so much longer so we can become very isolated and um, which can obviously just make everything so much worse um 
So these are my thoughts. That's my experience. These are my thoughts. And I would love to invite people to move more towards perhaps something that is just slightly different, really, um, which is seeking to make sense of where we are. Um, you know, can can we look um, and ask ourselves, like, how have, how have I ended up here? What responsibility do I have? But what responsibility do others have here also? Whether those others are people in our lives or governments or systems. Um, and then perhaps looking at, okay, well, what evidence do I have um, that I am capable of moving through this difficult situation rather than let me put my blind trust in some unknown entity who doesn't really seem to be treating me that nicely. <laughs> let me just kind of hand over my autonomy um, there and wait for them to tell me when is the right time for this suffering to be alleviated. Like instead, you know, how can we begin to lay foundations for more self-trust that like I can, you know, connected to what we we're talking about before, I can tune into what is right for me right now and what steps are available to me, what help is available to me rather than, yeah, this kind of surrender. I know there is sometimes a space for surrender, but I, I, I think, um, yeah, we can become very overly committed to the divine plan. Yeah, especially in, in the more spiritual spaces, which uh, with soul-based coaching, we are definitely part of. Um, and I think there's um, such an important thing here which is that for me the way and this is my personal um way of looking at the world um but a, a, a lens that i find very helpful is that life is a co-creation which means that i have a part to play and then there is a lot of things that i co-create which with is systems and people and um and the way that things are organized and for me there is also definitely a an um, tangible thing force whatever you call it um for me it's called goddess but whatever um and, th and there is a there is a community an ongoing communication there and i think that being in that space of being able to actually go oh crap this is where i am now and this is how it's affecting me um and learning to be with that because i think that's a whole topic unto itself but that's not something that as humans we learn growing up this is not something that most families will teach you this is not what our schools teach you so this is definitely part of the stuff that we have to work out for ourselves like how do you move through all of these like intense emotions sometimes how do you move through times where the whole world seems to fall down on you where there's nothing left of who you thought you were or what you thought you had available to you um and I mean, I'm going to be 50 um, pretty soon. Like nobody gets to live to their 50s and not have moments of that in their lives, even though it's going to be very, you know, it's going to look very different depending on your levels of privilege, depending on where you are in the world, all of that. But like being able to learn to how to be with that, I think is a really core part in our human education. So you're like that we, that, that, that we need to just we need to do. Otherwise, we're not we're not going to be able to be in that process very easily. And then kind of go, okay, and so if I find myself here, then what is it that I would like to have happen? And what could that look like? 
And what is it that I could do now? And what lessons can I learn from this? Because there is usually lessons to learn. But yeah, like you, I'm not, no longer, I, I've definitely had times in my life where I was like, oh, that's why all of that happened. Like going, looking back, it's like, oh, <laughs> thank God it all happened almost. Whereas, you know, um, but there, there is usually gold to find in those really rough places. Um, but I don't subscribe to them being the reason that we have to go through them anymore. And I think that really connects to, again, like sort of the theme that we've uh, sort of teetered on across the conversation, this idea that there is any ideal life, like best life, ideal life that, you know, what, like you said, sometimes we do get to this sort of win or, you know, a happy place that we're in something joyful. And it's, it's lovely to make that meaning that, you know, that suffering brought me here. And maybe it did. Maybe it did. And also maybe there were other possible pathways to get to either this joy or a different one. Or I think there's something so freeing um, in us being able to let go of the idea that there is like there's one version of our lives where things are great. And then all the others <laughs> I mean that we've made a mistake, like we've done it wrong. <laughs> yeah, God, and and I think this is like this is the ultimate fairy tale that that the patriarchy tells us. It's like, you know, Snow White, <laughs> kind of like happily ever after, and then everything was okay, and it's going to only be rainbow and sunshine and like unicorns and roses and all that. And it's that's so deeply embedded in me. I don't know about you, but I I wake up with some regularity and I go, huh, <laughs> shit. I'm waiting for the fairy tale here. Darn, still not the fairy tale. Must have done something wrong. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's just life. It goes yeah. up and down. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Yes. So <clears throat> that's it then. We're going to all go after this conversation and look for our, our one ideal life. And when we find it, we're going to jump on it we're going to kind of peg it down and we're not going to move away from it don't breathe like nothing like don't let it change that's it then then we've succeeded right got it yeah i'll let you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, carrie is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation we've we've touched on so many different things on so many different levels uh, but i like that i think there's like so many rich avenues for people to start exploring and think about further Mm, yeah I don't have anything to add I've really enjoyed the conversation thank you so much for having me ah you're so welcome thank you very much for offering us your insights and wisdom um we'll make sure that people can find you easily um maybe you want to just share yourself as well um where do people go if they want to know more about working with you or learning from you your instagram is a great follow by the way that's definitely something to start Thank you. My Instagram is is probably my most like comprehensive and active and up to date place to find out most about me. I have also recently begun to toy with TikTok. I am really trying to remain current out there in the world. Um, I do really like it actually. Like it's quite a conversational format now that I found my feet um so anyone who's like scared of TikTok like I was for a few years I would recommend spending more time on there to get to um get to know how it works um, and just my website is kerryjobs.com there's plenty of info there as well 
Great. I'll make sure that it's all in the show notes. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, it's been a joy. Carrie, thank you so much. And I look forward to when our press will cross again.